0: All right. So this morning we'll continue working through um, our short series on the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Um, and so each of the six petitions in the Lord's Prayer, as we as we'll look at them, they are all uh, telling, something, telling us something about God. Um, they're teaching us something about the character of God or the reign of God or the love and care of God um, or the kingdom of God. So last week, Pastor Will walked through the opening of this prayer, um, Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, and this week, we'll walk through the next two petitions, Your Kingdom Come, Your Will Be Done, in Matthew 6.10. So to recap, uh, the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, is teaching us to regard God's name as holy. Well, the first petition bleeds right into the second and third petitions. But to help us remember, uh, let's ask again, what does it mean to regard God's name as holy? <clears throat> Just, I want to sort of hear from you guys from what you remember or what you understand of that. What, what does it mean to regard God's name as holy? The name has to do with every attribute and everything mm-hmm. having to do with God, not Amen. just someone's, as we would think, a name. Mm-hmm. Everything having to do with God is holy. And mm-hmm. He his holiness is holiness itself. Amen. Amen. You said the word I was looking for. <laughs> uh, everything, <clears throat> when we say that God is holy, it's concerning all of who God is, all of His, his attributes.
1: I'm going a little bit to the Greek. Okay. The word name means authority. It's onoma. It's the same, uh, the same mm. word is shame in the Old Testament. Shame, mm. the word, the second son of Noah. Right. Okay, and right here is onoma. It's authority, honor, and uh, beauty. Mm. So when he said, your name be holy, your authority be mm. holy your that's honor good. be holy no our my honor so that's, that's why good. i try to break because yeah. remember we are bound in a sukikas, a physical body a body the senses yeah if we want to put our honor not the honor of god so yeah. he goes start with that thing first
0: that's good yeah
1: and he throw in our faces in the face of the disciples the situation or the bound to a Sukikas a sensual body. Mm-hmm. And that okay. is you not know my name, yeah. it's your name, your yeah. authority, your yeah. honor, not mine. Yeah, and that's a
0: great point. We're actually going to mm-hmm. touch on that exact thing when we get to uh, the um, second and third petition. Mm-hmm. Not um, my authority, like you said, but your authority. Not my will, but your will. And it's very, very closely tied to that. I just want to say, yeah. I, it want
1: encourage you know, <clears throat> because we are li- reading English, we are not reading Greek. Mm. And there are so many words, I-, I don't understand why the King James, in any Bible, put la- the word name, or onoma, the translated name, it's mm. no name, it's onoma is authority, honor. Mm. that's what it refers. Mm. That's what the Bible said. your name, it doesn't refer about the name of Jesus, It about your authority.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. When it comes down to the, the triune God, mm-hmm. uh, when we attribute um, something to God, like God's names throughout the Bible, whether it's Shari, uh Jehovah, or whatever it is, um, it's speaking of his divine character. It's saying more than just, mm-hmm. you know, Joe or Mary or Brad or Tim or Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, It's speaking of God's divine attributes. So his name, they're they're communicating something about the the divine attributes of God. And so it's distinct from him as it is from us, from the creature to the creator. And and it's not the name Jesus. No, it's this
1: authority or this character. That's what he he says. Mm -hmm.
0: So when we regard God's name as holy, um, we're not just speaking of uh, one attribute of God or um, compartmentalizing God, but it concerns all of who God is. Um, To follow up with what Will taught last week, the hallowing of God's name includes right thinking and right talking about God and his divine attributes. For example, to regard God's name as holy means to regard God as eternal. To regard God's name as holy means to regard God as omnipotent or all-powerful. To regard God's name as holy means to regard God as self-sufficient or infinite or all-wise or sovereign. To regard God as holy includes who God is in and of himself. So if we think about, if, if that's what it means to regard God's name as holy, Um, What does it look like when we're not regarding God's name as holy? When we're not regarding God's name as holy, we're not trusting that the Lord uh, can uh, and will provide our needs. It's calling into question the character of God. When we're not regarding God's name as holy, um, we're finding satisfaction in, in, in sinful things. It's disregarding the authority and wisdom of God. Um, where we're, not, we're not regarding God's name as holy when we say or pray wrong things about God. Because to regard God's name as holy is to regard God as he has revealed himself in Scripture. Uh, the Bible tells us who God is and how we ought to worship him. Um, and so when we regard God's name as holy, we're regarding all that God has revealed of himself and his word. Okay, So, from our praying to our thinking to what we do, um, what are some things that help us to think rightly about God?? Right, so what, what are some things that you feel would help you or help us to think rightly about, about God, so that we are regarding the Lord as holy? He's sovereign. <clears throat> yeah. Amen. So His absolute rule and reign over all things. Will? The psalms just really <coughs> cool. mm. yeah. give us tons of expressions yeah. um, how we ought to be thinking of God. Yeah. Amen. Yep. Kyle and then we'll come over to Cliff. <coughs> yeah, regular like Bible reading. Amen. <coughs> yep. Yeah, so having our minds in the Word so that our thoughts are continually being informed by Scripture. Yep. Cliff? Yeah, we just saying about him as providential and Yeah. Amen. So having uh, these things in mind, sovereign is uh, providence, having the word, um, these things inform our minds when we come to the Lord in prayer so that we're thinking rightly about God and we're uh, feeling and meditating rightly about God so that when we pray to God, we are praying to him as he has Uh, described himself or told us of himself in his word and so we're being sanctified as we meditate on the word on the psalms they just tell us about who God is and so that our prayers are in line with with the word of God not only as the scripture tells us to uh, pray like this which we see in Matthew 6 but also as we just did this study on praying with Paul we're looking through uh, Paul's letters and we're looking at how Paul prays and we're being informed about how we should pray for each other um, all these things, the word is uh, informing our thoughts and our affections as we come to the Lord in prayer, so that we think rightly about him. So here, and then here, and then I'm going to move on to the next but point you here. You just
2: touched on that, <coughs> that our thoughts are his thoughts, that we're
0: thinking as he thinks, because our flesh lies to us, and we can fool ourselves, and we need to be thinking as he thinks, that's why we stay in the word. Yeah. And
1: we're thinking as he thinks, and we're in line with his thoughts. Yeah, no. I just want to say something right here. I can't yeah. imagine Jesus Christ saying this and not remember what he said. But God says in Isaiah 46 9, He said, Remember me, remember the tormenting soul. I am God, and there is no one else. I'm God, there is no one like me. He said, declaring the end from the, the beginning. beginning. Amen. That's an amazing. Yeah. talking about the sovereignty of God right Amen. there. He said, in ancient times, the things that are not yet done, Yeah, amazing. So everything, mm. what is done today, what is happening today, mm. God declared from the beginning. Amen. We don't understand. Amen. He's sovereign. Yeah, yeah that's See, what it means
0: yeah. for him to be God. Yeah. <laughs> that's why See, he's God and we're not. He said, my will
1: counsel, yeah. shall <coughs> stand <in a> <coughs> for my all, for my pleasure. Yeah, Amen. Amen. Yep. Yep. I can every one time that I read this I go to I say, I say, wow, that's yeah. I can't imagine God praying. Yeah. He said, pray in this manner and not remember well,
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have to know we have to know this guy that we're coming before and our prayer. He is not like man. No. And he's not he's not a, the, the the best version of a creature. He's not you know, uh, just much, much wiser than us or much, much more good or much, much more powerful. He is create. He is creator and we are creatures. There's a distinction between God and anything that is made by God because it's not God. And so we have to have those things in mind as we come, come to him in prayer. So <clears throat> the first petition is telling us to regard God's name as holy. Uh, the second and third petitions are telling us that this God should be worshipped and obeyed. This holy God should be worshipped and obeyed, which is what characterizes the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come. Now, in one sense, because God is the creator of all things, the extent of his realm must be the whole world. If the kingdom of God is wherever God reigns, because God reigns everywhere, the kingdom of God in one sense is everywhere. But when we see kingdom language in the New Testament, it's usually not referring to God's general cosmic reign, but it seems to be getting at something a little more specific. So when we think about kingdom language in the New Testament, we're probably uh, thinking about maybe John the Baptist in Matthew 3.2, where he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, Or Jesus saying that the kingdom of God has come upon you in Luke 11. Or Jesus saying that it's hard for a rich man, a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So we may be thinking about those verses. Those are verses that commonly come to mind. Um, And sometimes when we come to verses like this on the other end, uh, verses that deal with kingdom language, uh, we can tend to want to find a side, line up, pull out our weapons, and get ready for combat, right? Uh, kingdom language, okay, what's this kingdom You know that, that, that's being talked about here? With respected and very smart you know, Bible scholars standing on different sides, with different perspectives about the kingdom, what it looks like, how it comes, it's easy for us to find a camp and take a position. Um, I get that. <laughs> but before we go there, um, it's important for us to just talk about what it means. So, first, the fact that there is a kingdom assumes what? It assumes there's a king, right? It assumes that there is a sovereign, that there's a monarch, that there is a head, that there's a king. And the kingdom of God isn't just a New Testament idea. It looks back to 2 Samuel 7 and God's promise to King David that there will be someone who will occupy and establish his throne forever. Um, And then it goes even further back to Abraham and the nation that God created from one man, this people who are supposed to be God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Uh, He gave this people his law, which set the Israelites apart from himself, uh, apart for himself. But the kingdom concept goes even further back to the very beginning of man. In one sense, the kingdom of God has always been present. It was established even in the Garden of Eden. God was king over Adam and Eve. He was their creator and sovereign ruler. Adam decided to dismiss and reject God's rule by eating of the tree, uh, eating the fruit of the tree. And it wasn't about uh, that fruit or that tree uh, specifically. It was about The obedience of the creature to the creator. The obedience of the creature to the creator and his law. So God said A, Adam did B. Adam wanted to choose for himself what was right, what was wrong. Right? But you don't only see this rejection of God's rule in the garden. It shows up often throughout Israel's history as well. But again, If the first petition is telling us uh, to regard God's name as holy, then the second and third petitions are telling us that this holy God must be worshiped and obeyed, which is, again, what characterizes the kingdom of God. Now, when God, excuse me.
2: Um,
0: When God created the nation of Israel, the people he set apart for himself, they were supposed to be different from all the nations around them, not just because they talk different or dress different. They they didn't say to themselves, hey, guys, let's be different from all the nations around us. This wasn't them uh, sort of willing themselves to be different. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. They weren't sort of willing themselves to be different. God's law is what made them distinct. <clears throat> That's important to remember. God's law, which is a representation of God's rule, which is a representation of God's kingship, is what made them distinct. <clears throat> That's what made them to be a distinct people. Now, let's, um, let's look at 1 Samuel 8. Turn to 1 Samuel 8 with me. <clears throat> So we're thinking about the second petition, your kingdom come. Now, 1 Samuel 8 is a record of the Israelites having this epiphany. They have this realization, but it's not a good realization. It's not a good epiphany. It's actually bad. Um, If you look at 1 Samuel 8 in your Bible, it probably has a heading like mine does, which says, Israel demands a king. Now, I know that this wasn't a part of the original manuscript. This was put in later to help us find scriptures more easily. Um, but it probably says, Israel demands a king. Now, if we stop there and think about that phrase, Israel demands a king, what's wrong with that, just on the surface? Well, we don't trust God. We an earthly kingdom. Right. So... The issue here is that Israel already had a king, right? They wanted an earthly king, which we'll look at in this passage. Okay, so 1 Samuel, I'm just going to read verses um, 4 to 5 first. 1 Samuel 8, verses 4 to 5. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Appoint for a king to judge us like all the nations. Again, the problem here is that Israel already had a king. God was Israel's king, but his people wanted to have a human king so that they would be like all the other nations. right? They wanted an earthly king. Then in verses 11 to 17 in 1 Samuel 8, he tells them what to expect when they get this king that they're begging for. He says things like, he's going to take your sons, and he's going to take your daughters, and he's going to take your fields, and he's going to take your servants, and your flocks, and your slaves. He'll take them to serve his own ends. But Even after Samuel warns them, they still say what? No, but we will have a king to rule over us so that we can be like all the other nations. But the thing is, Israel's response, if we're carefully and honestly thinking here, is not so far from our own response to God's rule. We look at a powerful, mighty, gracious, merciful God and his rule, and we say, no, I would rather be ruled by myself, or I would rather be ruled by my own desires. I want independence. I want autonomy. Um, We would rather be ruled by sometimes money, uh, sometimes pride. Um, sometimes we prefer the king of uh, being thought well of than the king who is God and our shepherd. And uh, we, we, we identify this in, in our own hearts. Again, I think if we're thinking honestly about this. <clears throat> but if we jump forward in Israel's history uh, from Samuel to Jesus Even in his day, we see the same types of rejection of a king. Most Jews rejected Jesus, but this is the deep and unrooted position of the human heart by nature, the rejection of the king. And Jesus wasn't some rogue sort of self-appointed king. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says all authority. And heaven and on earth has been given to me. Colossians 2 calls Jesus "Head of all rule and authority." <clears throat> um, in John 1833, Pilate asks Jesus, "Are you the king of the Jews?" And Jesus answers in the positive, and says, "My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting." That I might not be delivered over to the Jews, the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. So Jesus is bearing witness to the truth of the kingdom of God and the reign of the true King. <clears throat> when God the Father, on the basis of God the Son, through the operation of God the Spirit, rules in men's hearts, the kingdom is at hand and experienced. It's not so much um, a spreading and expanding that's happening with the kingdom. It's more so a bringing into the kingdom as the gospel goes forth in power. Uh, when sinners are delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son, Colossians 1.13, the kingdom is among us. So when Jesus is telling us Your kingdom come, we're praying for the success of the gospel among Jews and Gentiles, the conversion of God's elect, the destruction of the kingdom of Satan. Here, we're not primarily aiming our petitions at God's rule of nature through his providence, but the kingdom of heaven. Not very visible, but manifested spiritually in the hearts of God's people. Both Jews and Gentiles. In John 3:3, Jesus says that you cannot even see the kingdom unless you are what? Born again. Something deeply spiritual has to happen in the man in order for him to identify or identify with the kingdom. You need to be saved. Not moral, not socially conscious, um, but regenerated in order to be in this kingdom. And it's this kingdom that is prayed for and desired by all who sincerely love Jesus. All that the Father has given to the Son will come into the kingdom. So this is a kingdom as a spiritual kingdom but that kingdom makes itself visible in believers in physical bodies as we live here on earth. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Redeemed sinners living in a fallen world while recognizing that their citizenship is in heaven is evidence of the kingdom of God. John Calvin said, It is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Redeemed sinners living in a fallen world while recognizing that their citizenship is in heaven is evidence of the kingdom of God. John Calvin said, It is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. Um, We do that by living in such a way that we bear witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ in our jobs, uh, in our families, in our schools, um, uh, even with our checkbooks. uh, Because God in Christ is king over every one of the spheres of our life. In Acts 5, after Peter is threatened and strictly charged not to teach in the name of Christ, he responds by saying this. We must obey God rather than men. We live in a fallen world. So when the governing authorities in this fallen world uh, commands that we do something that God forbids or forbids that we do something that God commands, we say with Peter, we must obey God rather than than men. Uh, This is evidence of the kingdom, right? Us having this otherworldly citizenship. Um, We are here on Earth living out our lives as pilgrims, the Bible says. Uh, This is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. But the kingdom is evidenced in this way as people are generated and show that their citizenship is in heaven, not here on Earth. So in our praying, your kingdom come, Jesus is making us to participate in his own mission to spread the reign of God on this planet so that it reflects the way God's reign is established in heaven. It's only by the power of God that a person goes from my kingdom come, and I'm going to make sure my kingdom comes by doing what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, to your kingdom come the humble disposition of not my kingdom, but your kingdom come. Adam, Israel, and Israel's kings were supposed to be God's viceroys, uh, those exercising authority on behalf of the sovereign, but they failed to do so. They failed to do what the second Adam did. Jesus Christ is God's appointed and installed king who is exercising rightful authority as a sovereign ruler and as its, and as its, uh, its spiritual kingdom. So with that being said, <clears throat> we have to remember that Matthew 6.10 is a prayer. Jesus' prayer, Matthew 6.10, are words that we should pray. But they're also a template for how we should pray. The reign of God in the hearts of men by God's wise design usually happens through the means of prayer. So considering what scripture says about the kingdom of God, how can we pray in ways that are faithful and obedient to how Jesus tells us to pray here? How should we pray this for us to think about and talk about for a second? How can we pray your kingdom come. All right, let me just hear you guys' thoughts on this. Okay. So, I mean, one way is you can take specific things <clears> that you're praying for. So yeah. It might be a fellow believer for strength and courage to live out the gospel in yeah. every aspect might, of life, right? Yeah. So that might, that might be one way. Yeah. yep, absolutely. Yep, so praying that. Uh, believers, they are regenerated, live in a way that's consistent with the word, um, that they uh, live according to their calling, um, and we need to pray for each other in this way. Uh, none of us have <coughs> the strength to uh, outwill sin, <laughs> or to uh, we're not we're not more powerful than sin, Satan, in the world. Uh, but Christ has conquered, and so in Him we conquer, and we pray for each other in this way that we would have. Boldness, and that we would have uh, strength to proclaim the gospel, right, and to live in a way that's consistent with God's word. Cliff. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Let that our boldness, our yep. Gospel. Yep. And just a reminder again, like we we know these things to be true. Like we know that we are uh, by nature uh, man pleasing. You know, we know that we fear um, at times proclaiming the gospel like we should. We know that a lot of the times our lives don't, you know, look like our confessions. Um, as Christians uh, striving in this life to honor the Lord by the Spirit. The fact that we know this, um, I pray for myself and for us that it bleeds into our prayers for each other, Um, knowing um, our own weaknesses and our own powerlessness uh, should cause us to give thought to each other in prayer, to really pray for each other, thinking about specific people and saying, you know, I know my friend is having a conversation with this you know co worker today, Lord, please give him, give him grace, give him a clear mind, give him boldness. Um, I know that you know my sister over here is thinking about this and struggling in this area. Lord, please give her grace, give her strength, give her um, a mind that is informed by your word and reflecting on your word so that she has um, uh, a right disposition as she makes this decision or whatever it is like having each other in mind as we recognize our own inability uh, it highlights our need to pray and to pray diligently and often <laughs>
2: scripture is certainly not
0: contradictory so hmm. when we have the command to
2: the scripture that says that god says pray the desires hmm. of your heart hmm. <clears throat> our sinfulness can <clears throat> take that hmm. and, and quickly make it a self-thing, yeah. this is what I want. Yeah. So for for my life, it's always the the yes, the freedom to pray the desires of my heart and make mm. my heart vulnerable to God, yeah. but then quickly say, Thy will be done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not my <clears throat> will, but thy be, you know, thy will be done. Yeah. And I I experience <laughs> that in acute Focus when I was adopting Chris. Yeah. <clears throat> so the desire of my heart was to have their third child. Hmm. Um, and so you really want to pray that desire. Hmm. But Pastor Fred back then, it's like, well, but what if that's not what his will? Because I would say, but thy will be done. Hmm. And I think wisely he said, <clears throat> not that God would have to, he would take if it was his will for me not to have a child, he would take away the heart
0: desire that was so strong mm. at that time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which actually, th- thinking along those lines, I'm glad you mentioned that because it, it really does bleed into the next petition. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we got let's let's work through this next petition the next 10 minutes we have here. <clears throat> so I. Similar to you, Debbie, i experienced that, I think most of us have. (laughs) And I I come from a church background where if you said, your will be done, it was um, almost like, uh, on one end, it was almost like doubting, like you pray this petition, and then you ask the Lord fervently for something, and you say, but not my will, your will be done. (laughs) And, you know, it would be seen as, well, that's faithless. You don't have faith. You need to have faith. You know, you just sort of print that as a cop-out it was either that or on the other end, it was um, similar to what, what you said. So thinking about God's will be done being sort of like this, um, this tagline on the prayer to get what I really wanted. <laughs> you know, I pray and then just to show you I'm super humble, your will be done. Maybe you'll give it to me. Um, and both of those extremes are, I think, wrong views concerning the, the, the will of God and this petition, this prayer. Yes. That's my illustration. Yeah. Don't take it from you. me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad you're thinking of. As my wife says, the Spirit is what? It's <laughs> <laughs> a matter of yeah. I got it right here. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. I'm glad that the believers are on one oh, accord here. Yeah. Um, so, usually, when we think about the will of God and how to define it, uh, two things come to mind, God's sovereign will and God's perceptive will, and it's, God's will has been defined by different scholars and theologians more broadly, And but just for our purposes. We usually think about God's sovereign will and God's perceptive will. God's sovereign will shows uh, God to be the sovereign ruler uh, of the universe who ordains all things that happened. Nothing happens that is outside of God's sovereign will. So if you write sovereign will on a paper, uh, you could almost draw two arrows coming from sovereign will that would go to uh, decretive will and hidden will. Um, God's sovereign will is also sometimes referred to his decretive will or his hidden will. Uh, God's sovereign will is decretive because it involves what he has decreed. Um, It's hidden because we usually don't know what it is until it actually happens. Again, it shows God to be the sovereign ruler of the universe who ordains all things that happens. So thinking about God's sovereign will, Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Isaiah 46.10 says that God is declaring the end from the beginning And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Now, um, what's when we're thinking about we're thinking about your will be done here, the petition on earth as it is in heaven. Usually when we think about the will of God, we are thinking about his sovereign or his perceptive. But as we think about God's sovereign will, we see passages in scripture that do highlight and illuminate what's referring to his sovereign will. Um, On the other end, we see passages that I think are referring to his perceptive will. When we usually think about God's perceptive will, what are we usually thinking about? The perceptive will has to do with God's laws and commands, his precepts, um, and his preceptive will, which is not hidden, but it's revealed. God's commands regulate or govern the behavior of his creation. Uh, the perceptive will of God is what God wants us to do and not do. Um, we have a conscience. We're rational, We uh, rational creatures. We have rational minds and we are obligated to obey God's revealed will. Matthew, not Matthew, Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. But to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. First Thessalonians 4, 3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Acts 3.19, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. So God's perceptive will can be disobeyed. We do this every day. What God has revealed for our obedience, we can and do sin against. Now, when we think about Matthew six ten, the question is, which will is Jesus talking about? When he teaches us to pray, your will be done. Is he talking about God's sovereign will, his general ordaining of all things? Or is he talking about God's perceptive will, his commands, his laws and his precepts? Well, let's try to think about this together for a sec. When Jesus tells us to pray, he gives us a clue as to What he's talking about, when he adds this part in the prayer, on earth as it is in heaven. So God's sovereign will is always accomplished because he's decreed it, he's ordained it. But Jesus tells us that God's will, uh, tells us to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which means that something uh, different and distinct is happening in heaven than what's happening in heaven. On Earth, <clears throat> And what's the difference? Or maybe you could ask a question like this. What prevents God's will, and I, I say prevent for lack of better terms, what prevents God's will from being carried out on earth as it is in heaven? Um, in heaven, elect angels and glorified saints always obey God's pre- perceptive will, his commands and statutes. Why? Or I should say, because there's no sin in heaven. There's no conflict between the will of God and the will of his creatures. Why? Because angels and saints in heaven are brought into full conformity to the law of God. Um, and just, we, we can't wait until that happens. Can't wait until the fight is over. <laughs> and there's peace from without and within. There's not this bucking of our natures against God's good and perfect will. But Isaiah 6 says that in heaven, seraphim call to one another and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Revelation 4, 8 says, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord is the Lord God almighty, who was and is and is to come. So the question is, when you go to work, (laughs) does work sound like that? Um, when you go to the grocery store, when you turn on the TV, are, is there a striving to glorify God? Is there a calling out, Holy, 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 is the Lord? Um, you know, in our campuses and in our schools and in our workplaces, uh, we don't see that here on earth as it is in heaven. And the closest we get to that is the day that the Lord graciously gives us, which is the Lord's Day. Uh, When the believers are together and we hear each other sing and pray and we hear the word preached and we read the word together, um, that's the closest we get to that. But even then, in that sacred assembly, are we obeying God perfectly? Um, Is there no sin that keeps us from obeying God perfectly? Of course there's sin there. Um, So in this petition, Jesus is affirming that the will of God is done in heaven at the same time, he's also saying that it's not done here. People here on earth do not strive to glorify God as they should. They don't seek the kingdom of God as they should. We don't hollow the name of God as we should. So Jesus says that we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Luke 22, 39 to 44 <clears throat> Jesus says this. <clears throat> and he came out and went, and as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter, to tem- enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down, praying, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will. But yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed earnestly and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. So Jesus, in the most soul troubling time in his earthly ministry, said, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but your will be done, because my will is to do your will. Jesus was the only person to walk the earth to obey God's will in perfect obedience. And the Bible shows us uh, that Christ did this, and only Christ did this. Not just as a model for us to follow, but for our salvation, but also as an example. In this petition, your will be done on earth as as it is in heaven, Jesus is affirming that the will of God is done in heaven at the same time is also saying that it's not done here on earth. Concerning the obedience to God's laws, his statutes, his precepts. So with that being said, we want to just think about just for a minute here. How can we pray in ways that line up with how Jesus tells us to pray here or can you think of any scriptures uh, in the Bible that tell us to pray in this way or that instruct us on how to pray in this way? So, again, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is showing us some discrepancy between what's happening in heaven where angels, elect angels, and redeemed, glorified saints obey perfectly and what's happening here on earth where we do not see perfect obedience. Um, and so, how can we pray in ways that are informed by this, informed by Scripture, informed by Christ, and um, for for each other, or any Scriptures that come to mind? We'll just toss it out quick in our last minute here. Robert. Um Just continuing on there in 11, 12, 13, I
1: think it's cool how they break it down. I was broken down to say, like, when it comes to the petition aspect of our prayer, and mm. our daily bread, like our meekness. right?
0: Yeah. Like yeah. Our debts, our forgiveness of our debts, our sins that we continue to ask for forgiveness for, and then uh, our debtors and our trial, mm. our petitions are to mm. ask for help us. Amen, our yeah. forgiveness in our sins, and of our amen, case. amen, yeah, that's a great observation, yeah, amen. Anything else? Any other scriptures or thoughts that come to mind?
1: And
0: we that mode. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm God. Amen. Yeah. Yep. Amen. I said something. I'm going to. Go
1: ahead. Yeah. Uh, in Romans uh, 6, I think hmm. uh, it says,
2: Let not sin therefore reign in the water hmm. your mortal bodies, but present
0: your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So yeah. and there's this idea that sin is reigning on earth in his kingdom we part of God's kingdom in which he's our members for righteousness amen amen yep any other okay that's okay I have not been. okay so this, um, a couple verses for us to to um, think about as we close uh, Psalm 40 verse 8 I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Um, Psalm 143.10, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. I think that's a prayer about God's perceptive will, his commands, his statutes. Uh, John 5.30, I can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will but the will of him who sent me. Jesus in alignment, his will with God's will. And then Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Same uh, word used to describe uh, the law of God in Psalm 19. Okay. Okay. That's all I have for us. I hope that was helpful. Um, Let me pray for us. Since we're over a little already. okay? Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, We thank you for your spirit. And we thank you for your uh, promise to uh, conform us to the image of your son. We pray that you would um, give us grace and that you would uh, turn our wills in a way that's pleasing to you, that we would be conformed and our will to yours, and our minds and affections. Um, and may, you, uh, may your reign be shown and displayed um, in your people as uh, citizens of the heavenly kingdom. Uh, you are the right and just, holy ruler of heaven and earth. And Lord, we thank you that you have called a people to yourself um, to preserve them for your glory and their good. Um, glory be to the, to the Most High. Amen.